This is Robin Dreek. I'm the founder and CEO of People Formula and the retired chief of the FBI Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. I connect with Pablo via LinkedIn and also him being stalking me on all these podcasts. I got to tell you, if you want to learn more about how to build relationships in a corporate culture so that you can maximize your effect, increase your brand and get all those referrals you're looking for, you got to listen to Pablo because the key that he shares with you is how to build those strong, healthy relationships and networks for everything you need to achieve in your life. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that, I learn from him. This means every single person you ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person, and therefore has something to teach you, and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every networking event or conference you walk into is both a library and your stage. Your network is your personal Google, and you are a part of everyone's Wikipedia. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I am your Chief Executive Connector. Follow me as we meet people in my walks. Find out what we can learn from them, what they've learned from others, and what made them want to connect so you can learn to gain and give value to others in all of your interactions. I am terrible at asking for stuff, but if you want to do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you've learned from each episode, or at the very least, hit me up if I can ever be of service or any kind of value to you. Now, without further ado, let's get connected. Welcome to the Chief Executive Connector Podcast. I am your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez, and today we have a guest that I am unbelievably excited about. Most of Every episode of my podcast has been somebody that I know, somebody I have in my network that I've learned from, and I'm going to break the rules today selfishly because I listened to Robin Drake on one podcast probably about six months ago and immediately listened to him on like seven other podcasts because I was so fascinated by his message. I bought both of his books and read them. Uh, He is the CEO and founder of The People Formula and the retired chief of the FBI Counterintelligence behavioral analysis program and he has these systems that he has built in that i'm just gonna let him explain for himself right robin welcome how are you doing man i'm doing great pablo and thanks for reaching out matter of fact it's funny when you did that intro and you said you know normally have people in your network and i'm reading you know the things you sent me ahead of time i said i'm not in your network man you just reached out for me back in uh it was june is when you actually connected on LinkedIn and before that. And it, it's always fun chatting with someone that actually knows me better than I know me. So it's a little intimidating. <laughs> hey, listen, it's it's intimidating to fanboy over someone too, right? So it's not, it's not my usual it's not my usual move, man. But listen, this is one of those things where uh, I'm just grateful to have a platform where if I if I do decide to reach out to somebody that I don't know, then and I can add a little bit of value to their life by exposing them to my network via a one-to-many communication style. It's one of the reasons why everybody podcasts, right? It's for for this ability to to bring in fascinating people into their lives. Absolutely, and I, I love it. I, I, I connecting through these mediums and, and through multiple different podcasts is fantastic. And uh, everyone has a different flavor to it, and everyone has a, a great audience, you know. And so, um, especially yours, you know, when you're talking about you know relationships and mentorship and how to do that, there is nothing more important in the world and I know you know because you follow me you know than building healthy strong relationships because they are the bedrock of anything you want to do in life 
um, it's relationships because you can't achieve anything without it. And if you actually can be really thoughtful and cognitive about it and not and do your best to not make missteps or at least people can see because again no one's looking for you to be perfect they're looking for you to make an effort and this actually shows you how to make a genuine effort because you're not going to be perfect at it you know you're going to do the best you can and uh and be honest as transparent as you can on, on your effort and all will move forward it's a guarantee yeah man that's a good point and like speaking of perfect and imperfect my my imperfect intro failed to <laughs> failed to failed to show that you have you know your book the code of trust and sizing people up is a system for how to get people to trust you and a system for how to determine if you can trust other people. And I'm, I, I want to get into that stuff because it's super, super valuable and your story of how you arrived there. But I have this thesis, right? That people connect the quickest when you add a little value to their life or if you share a vulnerability with them. And I know that our conversation is going to be super, super valuable for our friend that's listening right now. So I ask all my guests if they can share either what you're, something that you're struggling with right now or something that you've struggled with in the past so we can kind of establish that human baseline. It's funny when, uh, when you mentioned that, I was like, you know, who isn't struggling with something all the time? It kind of ebbs and flows. Right now, I'd say because I'm an extrovert in an introverted world, uh, when I actually do connect, I, I've noticed I, I got to really reel myself in because I tend to overexpose. <laughs> I, I tend to, you know, because I, I do, you know, have trust as a default. And even if we've never met before, I'm going to give you ultimate trust and I'm going to lower all my shields and I'm going to regurgitate at the mouth and never shut up. So I go. So that's one thing I watch is because, again, my books are my manuals on how not to be the self-centered narcissist I was born to be. But. I still work on it. So I, that's, that's something I still work with. And I, I caused myself a few humbling moments in probably in the last couple of days, I got to make sure I reel it in Robin, you know, but, but that's why I have a wife that tells me half the time I'm sitting here doing podcasts and she brings me sticky notes as she's listening to me saying, shut up, shut up. <laughs> Buddy, I can't tell you how much I echo with that. Right. Like I'm, I'm, so one of the first things that connected me to you is that description of like, man, I grew up this like super narcissist, right? Like I youngest in my family, I'm like the kid that got super everything. Narcissist. And, um, and, and, and to this day, as I, as I have switched to this like service mentality, again, out of selfishness, right? Like I just realized that if my prerogative is to have as many great relationships as possible, um, being of service is the way to do it more so than being the funny loud guy. Um, but, but I, I catch myself all the time questioning, am I soaking up too much oxygen? My wife is in the other room right now, probably overhearing me and, 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 and thinking about all the things that I overspeak. So I, I, I totally connect. So do you, do you catch yourself often thinking about a conversation you had like two months ago of something that you're like, oh, I wish that I, you know, I wish I hadn't non said that or stop. I, you know, I, and, and, and the things you're describing are higher levels of self-awareness and not higher levels of self-awareness self in the sense of look at me and how awesome I'm at this. It's self-awareness of, you know, from the fact that we recognize our impact on others, both positively and negatively. And when we recognize a negative impact, we will dwell on it for days, weeks, months, and maybe even years years on end. I mean, I, I will bump into classmates that I went to college with, you know, Naval Academy years ago, and I'll still give them a big hug and thank them for tolerating the moron I was 30 years ago. Um, because I, I, that's the only, you know, and it sounds like you, you share my, uh, the only strength I was born with, you probably had more, you know, was realizing being, being the high charge and type A, you know, that is our, looks like we have very similar personalities. The only thing that's going to help start reeling that in sooner rather than later is, you know, when you 
can actually a little, at least assess your impact on others. Notice when you cause discomfort, and that's that level of self-awareness where you see what the world sees when they see you, and you say, I need to do something about this because this is going sideways, and you didn't place blame on anyone else, you took accountability for your actions. And that is, I think, one of the greatest strengths a human being can have to keep the movement in life forward at a decent tempo rather than being stuck in one place and kind of not understanding why. Like every time I have a humbling moment, I know what happened. I made it about me too much. You know, so uh, you step back, you reflect, it gives you a sick stomach. You know, I mean, it does. I, I, I feel literally ill when I have moments like that. So I understand it completely. Amazing, man. Uh, so what, for me, that started dawning on me in like my early 30s. And I know that you talk about this like career arc of being a hard charging guy. Maybe, maybe you can talk us into kind of how you came into the bureau and, 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 and maybe at least to the point where you started realizing this isn't, this isn't the way to do it. Yeah. Um, it actually started earlier than that. Matter of fact, I was looking at, um, and then regarding one of the questions, um, a time in my life where someone or something changed my mind about something I long held to be true. Well, I long held to be true that I was awesome for a very long time <laughs> and that I was this natural born leader. I was really great. And as a friend, to everyone and everyone loved me. And, and I know I wrote about in the book, but it was really the, the humbling moment when I'm being first evaluated as a young Marine Corps officer, um, 23 years old and Marines are great at always evaluating and ranking each other because it's one big competition all the time. And I'm at Cherry Point, North Carolina, and I was out of 14 second lieutenants, I was ranked dead last. I was 14 out of 14. And that was one of, I, I had a few humbling moments before then in life, but I kind of brushed them off as, um, as, as an enigma, nothing, nothing consistent, you know, but this was a really major one for me because it really, it took me off guard. It really took me off guard and it made me ask myself, all right, you know, I, I am doing something wrong. You know, it's, if it's one person calls it ugly duckling, ugly, it's one thing, but if you have, you know, a whole tribe of people saying you're off, then you're going to better start paying attention to what you're doing. And it was that moment that I started realizing, um, there's, there's something I'm not getting. And I need to figure that out. And so that was 23 years old. And, and it was, you know, it's not a destination, it's a journey, you know, it, it has its ebbs and flows, you know, by the time I got, got out of the Marine Corps in 1996, you know, I was, I was, I was flowing pretty good. I enjoyed it. My time at Paris Island as a series and company commander down there. Um, probably one of the most formative times of my life. I was late twenties before I came in the FBI loved my Marines, learned a lot. You know, I was on, I was tracking pretty good, but then, you know, you, you have a career shift. And when I came in the FBI, you know, it was very similar in a sense, not the organization, but very similar. It was all about leadership and human interaction. And now I had a shift from relying sometimes on my title and position and rank. And actually when you go, come into the real world where life is pretty flat, where no one cares about your title and position, they just care about how you treat them. I, it took a really harder focus because now I was actually recruiting confidential human sources and spies if they came along as well that didn't have to have a conversation with me. And if I didn't know how to let go of the focus of myself and make the focus them, I was going to fail majestically. And so that kind of then ramped it up again that I, hey, I have a need to do this. 
So it was easy to work outside of my little circle on my squad. But then what I noticed, started noticing with my career was I was getting along better with these, these confidential human sources and spies than I was with my own squad mates. Well, why? Well, that was easy because I valued their relationships more than I valued the people on my own squad. You know, and it wasn't that I didn't like them or didn't value them. I was just so self-centered at work because it was like me, me, me. I have to accomplish this. I have to do this. I have to achieve. I have to win. I have to get this case. I have to, you know, I didn't realize that those I moments only happen if you actually have those healthy relationships because it takes a village. Everything in life takes a village. And so as I, once I started realizing that, um, that's when... The, the harmony of the world started really coming together. The fog cleared. Everything was always in front of you. Everything's always in front of everyone. All the answers are always there. And all those answers through relationships. But if that fog is so thick that you don't see that answer because you're so absorbed in either negative emotions, you know, like hate, anger, discontentment, frustration, all those things cloud that vision for those relationships, as well as if you're too focused on you, you're not going to see those as well. So it was a process and still is, um, but a glorious one. I absolutely love it. I love how you describe the process. And I know I'm trying to, I'm trying to think like our friend, that's the third person in this conversation and they haven't spent 18 hours listening to you already. And, and I don't want to be, I don't want to gloss over the idea. There's a couple of things I want to get to, and maybe you can help me get to them. Right. But two of the number one, I would love for you to describe the code of trust as a, as, as like the bullet point system that you've, discovered because when you verbalize that for me, I think it was the Jordan Harbinger podcast was the first place. No, the science of success podcast where I heard you. I was just like, yeah, dude, like when you, you really just like put into a, you know, bullet pointed step-by-step process of the, what I, everything I believe on building relationships. Would you mind, would I be doing you a disservice just to kind of ask you it like that? Absolutely. Um, so when I'm st- so the code of trust came about because I, someone asked me to figure out, you know, like, what are you doing when you're on your behavioral team? You know, when, when as I was the chief of the behavioral analysis program for counterintelligence and we strategized recruitments, we strategized interviews and we strategized all these spy stuff. And when I took that step back and said, what am I actually doing? That's when I realized in every single operation I had done inside the bureau and actually in everything in life, I, all I was doing and what we're all doing is strategizing trust. And it's our, so the code of trust is about the behaviors that we need to have to inspire someone to want to trust us and work with us. And so, and I broke it down to these five simple steps. So I know there's, there's five tenants, which include ego suspension and, you know, valuing others and all that. I'm actually going to give you the five steps I actually use to inspire trust. And step one is the leadership uh, step, which is about what's your goal? What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to accomplish? What's that means, you know, tangible little thing you're trying to achieve in life? And now it always involves another person. So the second part of step one is reversing it. So how can I inspire them to want to align with me? How can I inspire them to follow me? How can I inspire them to be a relationship in my life? Because now it's got to be about them. And so that's the first step. And then the first step then breaks down into what I call means, goals, and ends goals. Ends go, and I used to think you had to achieve the means to the ends by doing these smaller, tangible things to get to what your ultimate goal is. Smaller, tangible things like um, make a good case, um, get a promotion, um, get a better house, better car. All those things are, are the smaller, tangible things. And ultimately, what are you trying to achieve? You're trying to achieve really what all we're hardwired for, and that is safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves and our families. But what I realized if I pay attention to the actual ends goals first, 
all the other means goals fall into place because all those, those smaller tangible things require, again, relationships. So if I focused on relationships first, which is my number one ends goal in step one is a healthy professional relationship with everyone. Before I engage with my mouth or my keyboard, I ask myself, is what I'm about to do or say going to help or hinder a healthy relationship? Number two end goal, open, honest communication with transparency because you cannot have the healthy relationship without that. My number three one is that I'm available resource for the success and prosperity of others with no expectation of reciprocity. And that's my fail safe that I'm doing it for the benefit of others and not for myself. Step one. Step two is in order to make this happen, I have to understand and identify the priorities of others, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, personal, professional, long-term, short-term. How do they see success, security, and prosperity from their point of view and give it label and meaning? Because if I give it label and meaning, I'll recognize opportunities to be a resource for that. And so, because here's a guarantee of human beings, we're always going to act in our own best interest in terms of safety, security, and prosperity. So if I identify those things, and now if I offer you resources in terms of those things, we're going to have a relationship. Number three, context. I have to understand your context, how you see the world through your particular point of view, your optic, your generation, your ethnicity, uh, your origins, your demographic, economic status, social status, orientation, gen all these things play into the vision the other person has through their eyes about how they see the world. This is our opportunity to build overlap and commonality. Uh, it might not be commonality of the same tradition, but you know, you said where you came from. I would love to know a favorite family tradition of yours growing up because it's it's unusual, it's, it's distinct, it's yours. And we won't have necessarily the same one, but the fact that you actually have one and I have one, that's a commonality. And it gives me context to understand. So when I hear your words, I now understand where those words are coming from because the best thing you can do for a human being is validate that human being. And validation is nothing more than non-judgmental curiosity so that I don't judge or prejudge by, I took an ethnic class or I took a class on this. That's so, that's so limiting. It's you as the individual where I want to have that curiosity. So that's step three. Step four, I got to make sure I'm going to use language that is about you and not about me. So all those years ago when I was ranked last in the Marine Corps, I went to my, my CEO ranking me. I said, all right, what am I doing wrong? And he goes, you need to be a better leader and make it about everyone else but yourself. And I said, okay, I thought I was. How do I do it? And he goes, just do it. He had no idea what to say. He had no idea how he'd do it. He, he was a natural born leader. Well, here's exactly how you do it. Here's the language you use. You seek the thoughts and opinions of others instead of sharing yours. You talk in terms of their priorities instead of yours. You validate them without judging them and have that non-judgmental curiosity instead of judging them for who they are, both verbally and non-verbally. And finally, when appropriate, you give them choices. When you do one of those four things and build that into your language with your, how you communicate, the entire conversation shifts from you to them. And their brain rewards them with dopamine, their serotonin, and oxytocin, the pleasure centers in the brain are firing. And when you do it with honesty and transparency, and you're just making that effort to make it about them, why wouldn't they want to have a relationship with you? That's step four. Step five is now you're going to craft that encounter. In other words, how can I put all this knowledge I now have of you together so I can make sure that I'm making this conversation completely about you and being that resource for you. And the first thing I always start out with is a non-judgmental validation of a strength attribute or action that I've observed in you. So I'm always looking for two things when I'm engaging human beings. I'm looking for your strength because I will find it. Whether you think you have one or not, I will find what you are awesome at. I will find your superpower. And the other thing I'm always looking for is your priorities. I'm going to try to do my best to find your top three priorities, either personal or professional, because I'm always going to think in terms of what resources do I have to be a resource for you in terms of those priorities. And most of those things come through other relationships. So that's my five steps to how do I inspire trust and build relationships. Man, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I, I felt like we had to get through that because there's so much 
in in those, I think you said that in like four minutes, which was extraordinary, right? Fifty-two um, years in four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, you know, so many things that I want to just unpack that for anybody, for our friend that's listening right now, who's probably heard me speak before, right? There, there, there's so much of like the, I speak often about my superpower is my ability to see something special in everybody that I encounter. And then I'm a really good communicator. So, 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 so it turns me into a great hype man, right? Like, and, 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 and when you think about just that, that little thing right there, you delineated in three and a half minutes, how to do that, right? Like how to be, how you can be someone's hype man or how you can be someone's guide to where they're trying to be. And that's why it resonated so well with me um, because it, it's, it's the, again, I, I, I'm being redundant now, but it's the formula, right? Like I, yeah. it, it takes me back to, it takes me back to when I first wanted to write a speak about a speech about networking, I had to go back and think about, so what has worked for me, right? Like what, you know, right. it's instill it into something like that. Right. And, and every iteration that I've had thereafter of speaking about it or making content about it has forced me to distill everything I believe about in networking and relationship building into speaking points, into like a path, which sounds like what you did with this book. And I wonder once, so you had this first book, which is Code of Trust. Then you decided to go into how do I figure out if I can trust people? Was it a very once you distilled one of your processes of your superpower and what you've done well and what you've learned from others, does it, did it get easier to distill the next one and turn it into another piece of long form content? Like what the, it was, yeah, it was actually, it was a natural progression. So what was interesting, um, the code of trust was about understanding my, my behavior and, and paying attention to the impact I was having on others, you know, creating that trust. And it's so, cause you can hear it, you know, after the first half of step one, the entire process is about paying attention to others and watching their behavior and understanding their behavior and just seeing if you are making that connection. And what I realized, and that's when I started having the aha moments was, and I said it already, human beings I saw started becoming extremely predictable in acting in terms of their best interests, in terms of their priorities. And that's when I said, wow, I can predict what everyone's going to do. They're going to act in their best interest. If I can figure out a way to observe what they think is in their best interest, it makes them predictable. And, and what I loved about writing, sizing people up and, and what always, and I probably caught you off guard too. You know, when you see that title, you see my background, you're waiting for this book of manipulation mad skills manipulation and it's nothing further from the truth sizing people up and predicting the behavior of others is about understanding others at the deepest level possible so that you can reasonably predict what they're going to do in every different situation in life so you can manage your own expectations so you can set a bar at a certain level and if they meet the bar so in other words when you're doing this they're either going to meet that bar or exceed that bar so again you don't have any negative emotions towards them and now because you took so much time to understand them if for some reason they fall short of an expectation it means something's gone sideways in their in their lives and now you know you need to be a resource to help them overcome something that went sideways in their lives it's about understanding people at that deep level so you can make even a deeper connection and what actually then morphed from that was you know looking at the six signs for predictable behavior that i talk about you want to build even better relationships, make sure you're displaying those six signs to them as well. And there you have some majestically powerful relationships.
Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Reading that book made me really self-conscious about like my my <laughs> consistency, my things. But you know, something, and I don't know if this is. I think this is from an interview of yours. But your outlook on this and how you explain Donald Trump as being this behavioral, you know, very easy to predict has very Crazy. much, very much helped me navigate this like political vitriol that we live in and and the different, you know, the swings that these like news headlines and stuff like that affect on you. And and can you explain how how Donald Trump, who is widely seen as this like unpredictable beast, um, how you consider him to be very easy to trust because you can, um, because he's predictable, right? All right. Um, we can unpack a couple things there. Um, very easy to trust. That, that's an interesting statement to make. I would say he's more easily pre- to predict. Correct. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. Because, tr- so, no, it wasn't wrong. It was just, you know, because okay. you actually use the word trust. And what I, we do and, and I like to do is break it down is actually trust is a combination of likability and predictability. Predictability is something objective that we can observe, you know, and and assess, you know, through data points of, of behavioral observation. Liking comes down to this. It's a lot more subjective where we have uh, commonality of morals, ethics, beliefs, interests. Um, and then if you have either a liking or a disliking confirmation bias, um, that really affects a lot of outcomes. And so, I mean, I, just so, so think about, so I'll cover the liking, disliking first. So, you know, I think arguably uh, the 2016 election with uh, Trump and Clinton, they were probably the two most well-known presidential candidates in the history of our country. They're so well-known ahead of time that a lot of people formed whether they liked them or disliked them before they even ran. And so now that they're running, if you like Trump, there's nothing he's going to do that you don't like. If you dislike Trump, there's nothing he's going to do that you will like. And same thing with, with Clinton. So, And what the networks do, because they have to sell ad space, they're capitalizing on continued confirmation bias on both sides. So that comes down to like and disliking. Now, when it comes to predictable behavior, yeah, Trump is extremely predictable. I mean, can you imagine what would be unpredictable and would have made news um, more interesting is if he actually came out on the first presidential debate and acted like Vice President Pence? That would have totally blown people's mind because he actually came out and did exactly what people always predict he's going to do. He's always going to tweet. He's always going to poke in the eye. Um, he's and he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks when he thinks it without without a filter. That's extremely predictable. He's going to if you're running against him, he's going to give you a nickname. Um, it's going to be demeaning in some way. Uh, it, it's just that is his predictable behavior. So it, it's, it doesn't make it liking or dislike, and it makes, all right, you can predict what he's going to do. And so it's interesting, too. I, I, did, I did a talk, and it might have been one you listened to. He actually, when I was analyzing it, he actually – I don't know if he's consciously doing it or it's just what he does. He actually does um, – he uses game theory called tit-for-tat or prisoner's dilemma, where um, he is all about – if you don't agree with him, he's going to poke you in the eye in, until you agree with him. And then once you agree with him, it's like best friends. Until you disagree with him again, then he's going to poke you in the eye again. He uses this with individuals. I mean, just think about how he treated Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio um, during the primaries. And once they acquiesced and they gave up, now he gets along with them great and they support him. He does the same thing with dealing with nation states as well. He, he pokes at China. He pokes at Russia, pokes at Iran, North Korea. And as soon as you say uncle, it's, it's over. And he's like – and that's why it confuses um, people that why would you say positive things about these people? And over here, they're doing this. Well, because he's using game theory. He's using prisoner's dilemma, um, which makes it predictable. Again, you don't have to like it or dislike it or think it's right or wrong. It's just, it's predictable. Um, 
matter of fact, most most politicians are pretty predictable. I mean, yeah. you, I mean, just think of the platforms everyone's standing on and what they're doing. I mean, it's it's everyone. If you just take that step back and and maintain a cognitive, thoughtful process process through it, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, like I, like I said, your your explanation of it has helped me be able to distance myself a little bit from it and be able to to navigate it, which is why I wanted you to express that. And I don't want to get too far into a political hole because I think we can end up in this wormhole all day long. Um, yeah, but- and, the only thing, and I agree. The only thing I think is really important is, is to, I like, like you, it helps you from getting emotionally hijacked Yes. because when people maintain a lot of negative emotions, it is so unhealthy over a period of time for our brains. It is really not good. Um, so yeah. if you can be more Ob- observation about it so that you it so no longer hopefully enrages you correct then correct. you have the ability to kind of calm down i love bringing people back to a better mental place and that's why i, I someone asked me you know so what would you do you know with, with these arguments that are going on i said well why don't want you to talk about a time when you were younger growing up you know and, and and what you enjoyed about when you were young i mean i remember when i was young i was in the 70s i remember nixon was president and all of a sudden president ford became president i had no idea why or what and then jimmy carter was president and then reagan was president that's a lot of different types of styles of presidency and you know what it impacted on my life nothing i liked playing with my friends i went i, I swam in a lake you know i was running like a maniac through the woods i mean that's you know, I eat hot dogs and fish sticks because we didn't have much money, you know, and you know what I thought life was? I thought life was awesome and fun, you know, and I didn't care two hoots about what was going on politically. So let's take it back. Remember what it, life is really about. This is just a small part of the whole. Man. All right. Now we're going to take a really, really far turn here of something I didn't think that we'd talk about. Right. So I, I'm so glad you gave that perspective in reading Robert Greene's laws of human nature. He talks about this law of generational myopia that is all about how your generation affects your outlook on life. Yes. And within it, you know, that that's part of this whole vulnerability thing, right? The generations share the same vulnerabilities, so they so they 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 bond easily. Um, it's the oldest trick in the book is to think that the generation younger than you is soft, right? But within it, he talks about this theory from this like 11th century Islamic scholar that talks about how human history has gone through these cycles of four that correspond to four generations. The first generation is the revolutionary generation. They confront a world that's in chaos and these vocal leaders that are emotive and know how to set a big vision and get people to make sacrifices, lead people through this big struggle. The next generation is so marked by the struggle that they seek homeostasis, right? They seek, how can we just agree on stuff so that we don't all have to be like at each other's throats all the time and fighting? The next generation is so removed from that original struggle that they start thinking, well, everything's cool. Why can't I just get a little bit of this here and a little bit of that, right? It's the materialistic, individualistic generation, which leads to the fourth generation, which is we're in chaos. We need a revolution, leads to the revolutionary generation. And it's pretty clear to me <laughs> that we're in that fourth generation right now and we're and we're headed into that and you just described exactly yes what my viewpoint has been that what we need is intergenerational relationships of people that can concept, can can contextualize what it was like 40 years ago 40 50 years ago and and show that it's not not everything is different right we are yeah. we are yes. going through a, a transitional period of communication where everybody has a megaphone for the first time ever, but we've done that before. It was called the printing press and the radio Mm -hmm. and the television. Um, 
So we don't have to relearn everything. We just have to relearn how to adapt this. In your, in your estimation, in this period, what's different than 40 years ago? Like what, what is it that we can take from the, from the time when you grew up in that, fourth, in that fourth phase and keep? And what can we say is new to, that we need to really, really learn and really understand? So I can agree with you more. I love generational looking and optics of things. You know, it makes it makes the uh, the paintbrush swath of how a generation sees the world very harmonic. You know, I'm I'm a hardcore Xer, slightly on the boomer side because I was born in '68. You know, my generation is all about you know dealing without being self-reliant because there was no such thing as daycare. There was no such thing as anything from third grade on. We're raiding refrigerators, drinking from fire hoses and shooting each other with BB guns, working for ourselves at the age of nine years old because we had no money, extremely self-reliant. And so, but the thing that bonds all generations together that, and it goes right to the core of what you're saying, it's, it's relationships that get you through everything. And also not play, not judging another generation as being weak or being better or worse. Um, realizing also language of generations shifts over time as well. I mean, the language of my grandparents and great grandparents is language that is not acceptable today. Um, you know, because of, it was the vernacular of the time, it was the roles of the time, you know? So, you know, imposing your, you know, your standards of what's acceptable today on a previous generation is making you judge in a negative way. So shields go up. In other words, the point of everything to me is how do we get shields down, get information in, an, in, in exchange and realizing that a majority of people on this world are not, do not have evil, bad things in their heart. They just don't understand. So it's just building that communication so you can build those relationships so you can start understanding. And, this, and that's why I always have this, this philosophy with myself. I do not allow anyone to bother me. And so in other words, if you say something to me that I don't understand or it doesn't seem off or it seems off, I, you know, I will always seek to understand why do you, you know, how is it, do you feel that way? What does that definition mean to you? Because it could be completely different. I mean, my kids teach me their their language all the time i'm listening i'm paying attention you know like we hear something on the news i said all right help me understand what does that statement mean to you um what do those words actually mean to you so i can actually accelerate you know my my translation in my head of, of what that meaning is because when i was growing up it meant something completely different um so but yeah the, but yeah you did perfectly describe the traditionalists in the 20s to the boomers in the 40s, you know, and, and up to the 60s and the Xers and the millennials. It's a, a it, and that's that cycle of four, no doubt. It's a, and it's so predictable. Yeah, it's, it's predictable. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't, I hadn't put that there. Right. But that, that allows you to, to have a sense of sanity of what's going on right now. Cause at the end of the day, yes, there is hardship. There is, you know, this chaos, but it's all very predictable on how it is. And, and, we can, and, and also, I'm sorry, we can also please. look at great, great role models for the time periods as well. I mean, I, I think the greatest role models that we have, you know, for that, you know, if you wanted to pick out two icons of, of the 60s and the boomer generation, Kennedy and Martin Luther King, you know, you, you, because first of all, you, I, I asked someone this the other day, you don't even know what Martin Luther King's political affiliation was. I have no idea. You know, he was, he was a great communicator and builder of relationships. 
and and had people understand definitions. I mean, it was it was poetic. And then Kennedy, I love because I'm a guy that I love visionaries, and he's the one. I mean, think about this: 1960, we're not even in space. In 69, we're on the moon. That is crazy. That is just amazing, you know. So, uh, and, and when you look at the turmoil, if you go back and look at what the the late '60s and '70s were like with protests and the Vietnam War and all the the, the variety that was going on then, yeesh, and, and the civil rights back then, which was nothing like it is now. Women, how they're regarded in the workplace, and everything. this is when you know women yep. did not go to work. Yep. It was just unheard of that their place was in the home, and the, you know, I mean, there's all magazines, you know dedicated to how a woman should behave in the in the in the home i mean it's just crazy and and the the thing i always love um to talk about is life is always changing and there's a tempo of change and this year you know the year of the covid 2020 the tempo of change has been really rapid massive yeah and we and we can't control nature and the tempo of change all you can do is do your best to keep up with it because if you don't keep pace with it you're going to get really uncomfortable and so it's just keeping up with that tempo change and what gets us through that tempo of change, healthy relationships. And it keeps coming back to the same thing. Beautiful, man. Beautiful, beautiful. Listen, I, I admittedly struggle with Kennedy because um, my dad's Cuban, right? So Cubans have, Cubans have oh, yeah. a, a very different viewpoint of, of Kennedy. So I, I you've inspired me to learn more about him. I picked one thing. Remember, yeah, yeah. We're, all, we're all working on something. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's, you know, even out of, you know, history will show, you know, where we'll look at what we think was the most perfect human beings to walk this planet, whether it's Jesus, Muhammad, um, Gandhi, you know, whatever it is, or whoever, whatever your belief system is. And look, a lot of people wanted to kill them. <laughs> You're right. You know, it just everybody's so, flawed. Yeah, and so so look at look for the look for the greatness that can be taken from it. You know, look at yes. you know look at the look at what they what look at the impact they made on history. Regardless whether all the you know things were aligned right or not right, things they did that impacted you negatively, yeah. you know, because you brought up a great point. It's like, wow, I never thought I never thought about that aspect because my aspect is, I I, I love I love space, I, I love exploration, yeah. and and he is the one that really spearheaded that in a time where, you know, we didn't really really have the resources to do it, and we did it anyway, and that was kind of crazy. But look him on the political side, and that was a major negative impact on your background and your life or your family. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And at the core of all of this, what we're talking about right now is I think step one in your process, which is approach with wonder, approach with curiosity, approach with look, wonder. That's a good way look, to say it. look for, look for the good, right? Like there is, you can always find something that you can learn from anybody, from any situation, whatever, um, instead of, and you can always find something you can judge, right? There's always something you Guaranteed. can, you can disagree with. So I want to, I want to go I want to talk a little bit about your company, man, because when when people think about the FBI, they think of, you know, you know, they think of like the show 24 or whatever. And, you, and you're like, you were in charge of recruiting Russians to, to help us against Russia. Like you couldn't be a better representation of an awesome Rocky Four movie. But <laughs> but at the end of the day, the FBI is a giant organization with internal politics and a million people oh, that yeah. you need to navigate. And yet you found this mentor. Um, that was a crew of like these guys that were just like super enlightened. And now you're helping organizations and you're helping businesses kind of create that, that enlightenment of, of, of how do you get along? So when you, 
what are things that you are seeing in corporate culture that you can lean into that will enable this like empathy at scale that you've kind of, that, that you kind of believe in? Yes. It's, it's, it's basically unconfusing things to me. Uh, you know, a, a lot of companies and a lot of corporations I work with, I do a lot with finance industries and with mergers and everything. And things can really get complicated and thing and people, a lot of people and CEOs think there's a, you know, if it's not a complicated answer, it's probably a wrong answer. And I'm actually a belief of the opposite of that. I think the, the sim, I help people simplify and kind of like relationships, you know, people think relationships are really complicated and, and really I made them. So they're not, it's really just understanding how do you make it about them? And so I do the same thing with companies and corporations, you know, a lot of times what we're, we're, companies struggle is when they're trying to accomplish what they want to accomplish and things that they think are as important without thinking about what the client thinks is important or what, what the potential sale. And also a lot of times they forget that the most important thing you can do as a company and a corporation is build your brand in a positive way as seen by your potential customers so that you have a positive brand. So even if you have a customer that decides not to go with you, you're going to have referrals because of who you are. I mean, I literally just got a, off a call, call before this, you know, where I, I was dealing with a bunch of uh, folks, analysts that do a lot of interviews, a lot of CEO interviews, you know, for mergers, acquisitions and things like that. And they're, and these people are constantly talking every single day. And I said, well, they, they said, well, we're all sounding the same. We're all doing the same thing. We're all asking the same questions. How do you keep it so that, you know, how do you make it better? I said, well, be the one that when they see your name and they see your number pop up on, on the phone once a quarter that they can't wait to talk to you. Yes. Even though you're going to ask the same questions, but if you have the ability to make that conversation about them by talking in terms of their priorities, you know, like the thing I offered them, I said, Hey, you have your questions, but they may, may not want to talk about them. They may have important things that they may have been asked the same thing a million times, but if you want to value them and demonstrate how, what their expertise is, why don't you say, give them because you have like four or five things you have to find out why instead of going down your list and asking them one at a time why don't you say hey here's four things that I, i'd like to find out today what are you most comfortable talking about and what do you think is most impactful and where do you think is your greatest expertise so what did i just do i sought their thoughts and opinions i just validated them i gave them a choice who wouldn't want to do that <laughs> yeah it just yeah it just it's again it's about companies that spend the time to how do i figure out how to demonstrate that value to others. How do I build that relationship? And how do I be the one that they want to talk to rather than the person they dread? So how do you get clients? Is, is most of your, is most of your books and, 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 <laughs> and stuff like that top of funnel kind of thing? Or, or are, are you, do you have like some kind of like outreach process? Is it all incoming for you? Well, just like any, as I'm learning too, like any business, you have to have multiple streams. Mm-hmm. You know, so my multiple streams I do is why I, I generally don't turn things down. Podcasts are a fantastic way. You found me through a podcast. Um, that's what that's one revenue um, revenue stream. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook and Twitter. I put out messages, you know, positive messages on uh, that leaders do for build relationships through that funnel. So I'll get some um, referrals that are coming through LinkedIn and through Instagram. And then I do I have books that I've written and then I have online training. You know, so each of these, you know, a good healthy company is is one that has multiple avenues, multiple streams. Like, and before that, I was getting a lot of referrals through uh, my in-person speaking. I was on, you know, National Speakers Bureau. Um, and so talking about a, a massive pivot, this year created a massive pivot. I mean, I would say 
um, from 2010 to 2019, 90, 95% of my business was in-person keynote speeches and training. Yeah. And, and I had, I had all my online services, my webinars and my online training as like 5% that I kind of just tend to back pocket, didn't really pay attention to it because it wasn't really a main viable income stream, but all of a sudden COVID hits, I lost all in-person speaking. And now if I sat here and waited <laughs> for yeah. a year or two to pass where people are comfortable again, if they ever get comfortable, I'd be sitting here, um, starving, yeah. but good you know you, i had all these other streams you just pivot you know you adapt you're paying attention you're paying attention to what clients are looking for you're paying attention to the tempo of the change that they're looking for it, i'd say for me it took about two months two or three months before um companies started settling down in their new normal yeah. still realizing they need some training still realizing they need some new expertise yep. you have to redo your price point um i mean it's just it's been a fascinating change i've loved it <clears throat> i've loved learning because you know learning is progress and uh so that's what i've done is just multiple income streams mul income, multiple vectors you know that you yeah, can actually yeah. tap into is a good way to put it multiple nets out there right yeah well, multiple. so but you talk about a lot you know you're very big if you don't mind i'm just kind of digging in just out of curiosity right absolutely like, yeah um it sounds like in your in your relationship building technique it's all listening right and i could see how i could see how being on stage, you're able to listen in mass. Um, I don't, I don't see the, you know, a book isn't really listening, right? A book is just like, people are going to get it and they're going to read you for nine hours and they're going to be all in, right? Like I'm, I'm dying to get to the point where I can bring you into an organization. Um, how do you, have you, have you thought about systemizing a way to, to listen now that they're in a, in a virtual manner? Do you have something like that? One of my biggest things I've been saying, because people want to know, how do I do this better in a virtual world? How do we pivot to this virtual world? And my answer is, you don't need to do anything different. It really is very similar. Uh, I'm always looking at, at the benefits of things rather than what we lost. And um, when it, there's a few things called relationship accelerators. I did mention it in the book. Mm -hmm. And these relationship accelerators, granted, it can, it can adjust the tempo of the, the progress of building trust and building relationship, but the the, the challenge here is you got to be very careful because if you're pushing a tempo that the other person doesn't want to push, then you might really break things down. Yeah. But here's some things you, you can you do. You mean my biggest fear of all time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know because my tempo is way out of sync with <laughs> yeah. the rest of the world. Um, but that is, um, is um, proximity is, is one of the things and mm -hmm. proximity being that, hey, it's always better to, for relationships and trust if you're uh, in person. Um, second best is this via Zoom. Um, next best is probably telephone. Next best is texting. You know, so you know the more you can see, the better. Um, second is um, duration. How long are we chatting real, real for? Real quick, Robin. I would like to just add a value. I would like to add video messaging in there. Right, you're able to send somebody yes, a video yes. message, and it adds more proximity. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Because it, it's more real. It's more tangible. Yeah. It, it's it's more personal because personalization is what really builds relationships. Yeah. And then, uh, and so on duration of the conversation, you know, mm -hmm. is it a 30 second conversation or are we chatting like we are, you know, so that's a major thing. And then the last part, which, which I think we actually have the ability to do really well right now, if we do pivot to it is intensity, mm -hmm. intensity discussion, um, transparency of our background is like I, with zoom right now is I have been in so many homes and 
living rooms in the last week, more than I have been in years. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at the photos on your wall behind you. You know, you're, I, I have the, I got the lighting system, so I don't have anything behind me except the, the, my dining room wall. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we have the ability to take each other on tours of our homes. You know, I could pivot around this way. You could actually, I could pivot this way. You could, beside my lighting says, you'll see the two whiteboards of how I organize my, my business, my projects, try to keep my mind straight because, you know, I have a small wee brain, you know, but it, it, it's had that level of intensity that was never there before. Um, so I think those are great things that we can do uh, in this virtual world. That's awesome, man. That's really valuable. And listen, I have, I have a couple of questions that I, that I normally ask people about that. I'm not like, we already handled the, how we met and, 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 and what you learned in your twenties. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just really indulge you for a second, but what do you eat and how do you look so freaking young, man? Like if you told me that you were, <laughs> if you told me that you were like 35, I'd be like, yeah, dude, you're a good looking 35 year old guy. And you just said you're 52. Yep. And a couple weeks. Yep. <laughs> is, is it genetics, man? Do you have, do you, do you go about it a certain way? Um, thank you, by the way. Good validation. Um, <laughs> even more so though, during COVID, I literally, uh, I walk a lot every day. I, mm -hmm. I do, if, I call my commute. It's where I actually put on my podcasts or listen to books. So I, I walk about two, two and a half hours. A day. I walk about eight miles a day, nice. um, two sessions. And I do a thing called cross rope um, where I do jump rope. Um, and then once a week, a Saturday, I do a high intensity thing where I kind of measure it. There's a, a thing that CrossFitters do and some uh, that the military does called a Murph. Um, and so I do a Murph once a week. Um, again, it, it, it's, it's, it's good for mental for me because yeah. – one of the ways where I keep a calm brain, which is the most important thing in the world, is calm, clear brain uh, with no of the negative emotions. And so actually, and then, and I, this is where I formulate my ideas and everything is is walking. It's it's a very meditative to me. I don't have a meditation thing I do or anything. It's literally just walking and thinking. Like we said at the beginning, ruminating on conversations I've had, listening to the content of their conversations, you know, thinking about ideas that I've heard, kind of weaving them into what I already have going, you know, and having deeper understandings. Um, so that's that's part of it. And just I just try to live healthy. Um, I'm definitely not perfect at it. I, you know, my my guilty sin always is pizza and beer, man. I could I could live on it and probably die on it, but I I can't do it. <laughs> A good one, man. That's a, I like it. I like that. I never thought about walking as a as a meditative technique, but it makes a lot of sense. And and, and yep. ruminating and 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 running through it, right? Like I I consider another thing that I'm really good at is recontextualizing things, right? Like I I got voted funniest in high school. I've never written a joke, but I watched Ace Ventura so many times that I could use that same joke over and over again when it's correct. And I would imagine that ruminating through past conversations and all that stuff is what you know, allows you to continue to evolve your ideas and evolve your approaches and things. And like I'll that. tell you, I, and it, it's actually, you know, again, since you have a lot of CEOs and stuff, listen to this, it actually is the best multitasker I've ever done in my life. Because when I, I remember when I used to commute in and out of New York City, it took me about an hour and a half, two hours each way. And that is when I would come up with my greatest ideas and, and I, for operations and scenarios and things to do, because it literally, there was, I was I wasn't confronted with emails. I wasn't confronted with phone calls. I literally had just time staring ahead in the car, sitting in traffic, and so I literally you could you know it'd be so funny to talk to my former boss. Actually, the, the characters in, in the book, you know, I would literally call him four or five times on the way home because I'd think about an operation. Now that I had time for a calm brain, I came up with all these ideas, and so I literally call my walk my commute because that is where I'm not confronted with anything. I can actually think about projects I had while getting exercise, and actually, I'm actually instead of dreading exercise, I actually look forward to the walk because the walk is where I'm actually going to do my best work for the day. And then I keep my phone with me because on the phone, 
It's, hey, Siri, take a note. <laughs> and I come back with, you know, a whole string of things that get added to the whiteboard. Yeah. So it's a multitasking and it's yeah. immensely very healthy for me. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's excellent, man. That's how I approach, did Siri just respond? She did, <laughs> quiet. <laughs> that's how that's how I approach road trips, man. So like living in South Florida, I, I like I love to surf. It's one of the reasons I moved to Jacksonville. Oh, and living in South Florida, do, you <laughs> surf? You. I try. I love uh, it yeah, though. Yeah, me too. I'm Good. the same way. I try. Listen, don't, don't get it twisted. I'm no I'm no world class surfer. Um, but living in South Florida, I would often have to drive an hour to two hours to like try to catch a wave window, and sometimes I was wrong. But it didn't matter because I would use that that drive time to connect with people, to yes. like think, to ruminate, to leave myself notes, uh, sometimes text. But um, but yeah, I love it, man. I love it. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. All right. Lightning round. Ready? Ready. What is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what is your order? Boy, that's, that's, that's situational. <laughs> <laughs> um, growing up, I'm going to call it uh, Segretti's Pizza. Um, good New York style pizza um, down in uh, just a a plaza where I grew up uh, locally here. We have Sedona. I love, I love a, I love a good crab cake or a great filet mignon uh, with some great mashed potatoes and uh, mushrooms. When you say locally here, cause this is meant to be a value. Fre I'm piece. sorry. Fe sorry. Fredericksburg, Fredericksburg, Virginia, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Thank but you. when we're talking New Yorker and me, um, there's nothing better on a Sunday morning than a warm, hot New York bagel with a big hunking um, piece of buttery crumb cake. Yeah, buddy. I like that. <laughs> um, what content are you most into right now? This could be a book. This could be a podcast that you're binging on. It could be a Netflix and chill series that you're really into. What content are you really into? So I'm going to give you a few. Um, I love the show. I watch history channel. I love reality shows. Um, basically if you, if in reality shows where, where they're real reality shows. And so my really one that I've binged on hard in the last couple of weeks, my wife is called alone. Uh, it's 10 people um, placed in, in Northern Canada. Uh, they're given their own camera gear. Uh, last one surviving wins $500,000. Um, I love it. I just, because there's no, it's, that is the reality. And watching these people survive these Arctic conditions with 10 items um, is fantastic. It's, it's human. It's the human condition at its best. Um, besides that, I do have a bunch of podcasts I, I listen to, um, but it's hard to get them all in. You know, I love Jordan Harbinger's. Yeah, I great. love Eric. Eric Cunley, Jordan's a great friend of mine. Mm -hmm. um, the Order of Man, uh, Art of Manliness. Um, Brett McKay's great. Um, so I got a bunch of those I listen to. Um, the book that I it's on my list. I'm probably going to get it to this week. Actually, uh, Brett McKay had her on. Um, it was uh, Tasha Urich wrote the book Insight. It's about self awareness and actually mm -hmm. a scientific study they did on self awareness. And for the CEOs listening, it actually they they did in this study. It is the number one quality exhibited by the successful CEOs is their, is their self-awareness. Um, and this book actually goes through the science of it and exercises to get better at it. So I'm really focused on that as well. That makes a lot of sense. You need to be self-aware to understand where you need to hire people or what you can and can't do. And Yeah, because the, the ones that are self-aware are the CEOs that have great mentors and coaches and are open to the fact that there's things they can do better. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm going to check that out for sure. All right. So you already said, what is something in your 20s? Uh, what's either the piece, your favorite piece of advice you've ever been given or like your favorite piece of advice you'd like to give? Um, I have, I have two. And the first one was that I didn't understand why, but that was um, Marine Corps adage of flower where you're planted. You know, stop trying to think about the next job uh, that you want because no one's going to want you unless you're being demonstrating success here. So the flower where you're planted and the best way to flower where you're planted is 
figure out what everyone else's job is around you, both laterally, above and below you, and make their jobs easier. That is probably the best thing to do. If you want to have a prosperous career and have lots of options presented to you, so you have lots of opportunity to move in any direction you want, be a resource for everyone around you. And you'll see that the world wants you. And, the, and, and there's enough rules and regulations inside of every organization. If they want to get you, they're going to get you. Be the person they don't want to get. <laughs> and you're going to have a great career. Beautiful, man. That's, uh, that's a great macro statement right there. Be, the, you know, be as useful to everybody around you as possible for a prosperous life and career. Which is so hard for a type A narcissist to be. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, all right, man. So but I'm going to ask you one last question before that I want to, you know, I'm definitely going to link to the peopleformula.com. I highly, highly recommend the code of trust. I highly, highly recommend sizing people up. Um, I want to just give you a, a couple of seconds here to promote whatever you want to promote or, or, or the best thing that you want people to check out or anything that you want to, that I haven't asked you that you want to tell people. Yeah. You know, just, just what you just said, you know, go to my website because what I've provided on my website is a lot of different options and resources. You can start from if if you just kind of want to do some at home learning on your own. I have my my uh, my quick courses, you know, for a really low price. So you can because I have online training that you can do um, that I host. You know, so you get a little bit death by Robin for forty five to fifty minutes. You can do the longer courses for a little bit more. You can bundle them all together. Um, you can look for me for a webinar. You can do personal coaching. Uh, I got lots of links to podcasts on there. I do have videos on YouTube. I I, I try to put out as much as I can and a lot of different types of platforms for what people are ready for at that point in their life, yes. because I want to, I want to just be a resource for whatever stage in life you're at. Um, so that you can keep moving forward. So yeah, yeah go yeah. to the website. It's pretty self-explanatory. I try to, I had a, another great relationship with uh, someone in marketing. Uh, she worked with me pretty hard in the last couple months because she looked at my website a year or two ago. She said, you are a wreck. I said, all right, here I am humbling up, make me better. <laughs> I'm not surprised that I would assume that you're the type of guy that like, I call myself kind of like a, I'm a 39 year old Huck Finn, right? Like I, like the type of guy that people are just like, yeah, man, let me do this for you. And, 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 and people do you a lot of favors because of the way that you show up and the way that you, you know, do stuff for others. You know, it, it, it happens. It's, it's happened. Uh, I've had a quite a few ones in the last couple of months and I can tell you, I mean, I'm getting a little misty about thinking about now. I have had people every now and then come out of the absolute blue to do me such a, a generous kindness. I, I, it tears me up because I never expect it because I don't do anything out of expectation reciprocity. And it, it, it's humbling. It is truly, truly humbling. And, and likewise, I mean, I, I'm literally in these fantastic barter relationships right now with a few people that I'm doing the best I can to be a teacher, mentor, and guide for them in an area of their life while they're providing me great insight in, in, in blind spots in my life because I know I'm a decent content person. You know, that's one of my strengths, you know, of, of breaking these things to be understandable. But absolutely everything else, I, I suck at. I absolutely, you know, you know so, so I have taken so many online courses in different areas that, that I have blind spots in, you know, because hell, I recruited spies my entire life. I understand the sales connotation with that. I understand how to interview. I understand how to build relationships. But that is only very one small aspect of interacting and building a business. <laughs> so everything else is a massive blind spot that I'm very humble about. And so I take anyone's advice or guidance that um, makes sense and is a good fit, especially when they're exhibiting the code of trust with me and demonstrating, you know, all the signs of good, predictable, trusting behavior, um, then it makes a great valued relationship, no doubt. That's cool, man. I can, I can, 
you know, I, I relate to that, that emphasis in your voice when you think about the things that people do for you, man. It's really, awesome. it really is a, an incredible thing, which kind of leads to the last question that I ask everybody. And that's, where do you find community? I find it in um, people like I just described. And I thought about this the other day too, you know, when I was thinking about the friends and the community I have in my life, um, I don't shun anyone and no one is excluded, but the ones that are closest to me are the ones that are most self-aware and self-aware in the fact that I'm looking, I don't intentionally do it, but I enjoy people that have the ability to laugh at themselves. Um, they're transparent with their weaknesses and their, and, and they don't shove their strengths in your face. Um, and they love being a resource for others. And, and, you know, I do the best I can when someone has a, asks a favor, you know, I mean, right now my wife sometimes wonders, you know, why I'll get a request from someone on LinkedIn and I start bending over backwards for someone who I literally just met on LinkedIn. And I'm like, well, what's it cost me? <laughs> you know, if it costs me nothing, why not? Um, so that I find community with, with people that just love a good, healthy relationship and are non-judgmental. And love my kids, man. love my kids. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Rob and I, you know, this is kind of the part of the interview. Normally it's people I know better. Right. But uh, it's the part of the interview where I, I acknowledge people for, for what I see in them. And, you know, I, we haven't spent a lot of time together. I've spent, I've spent a lot of time with you in my ear, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's very clear to me, man, that you, what you are putting out is, is tools for empathy for people. Stempathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stempathy. That's right. That's your term. Um, and and I just don't. I don't think there's anything more important right now. I think right now in this in this period where we are of that that phase of life where we're between the confused stage to the revolution stage, we can head to a revolution or to an enlightenment. And I think the key the key to it is understanding empathy, being able to learn from others, being able to to to, to approach with wonder as opposed to with judgment. And I think that the work you're doing is, is enabling guys like me that often question, should I be more of a type A hardo or should I lean more into this, this thing that I know is better and more pure and, and is long-term is long-term more viable and better for, for the whole. So I, I just, I really, man, you're, you're just so far ahead of it. And the, and the archetype that you represent of like the Jack Bauer, that is also Martin Luther King is just incredible, man. So I, I just thank you for spending this time with me, man. Thanks for the work that you do. Thanks. Thanks for the content you've put out and the effort you've put into that. It really is making a difference. And I, and I want you to, I want you to, to feel it. I, I don't know if you can see my goosebumps. You, I, I, I needed you today in my life and I appreciate it. You know, everyone has those moments where, you know, you have a, you have a day that goes a little sideways and you have a humbling moment and you're like, can I really do this? Am I really decent at, at putting out anything? And so you made me feel really, really good. And uh, that's the most important thing in the world is just be there for each other. Realize that we're all working on something. And when someone needs a lift, you give them a lift because you know what it costs you? Nothing. So uh, I appreciate you very much too. You put out great things for great people to do great things. And when it comes to, like you said, um, should I be this way or that way? You know, should I be the type A or should I be the one that is, you know, working on the empathy side? I look at it like this, do what causes the inner peace and the calm brain, because only with a calm brain can you actually see everything with clarity in the world around you. And that clarity comes from relationships. You only see those healthy relationships with a calm brain. So do things that create that inner peace and life falls into place. 
I hope you enjoyed that conversation right there as much as I did. Listen, Connect with Pablo is a content marketing community creation agency. The bottom line is that if you can start creating content that can give value to your customers or audience while creating strategic relationships through it, you can have a content machine that allows you to tell the story of your business through the value you are creating while gathering people together. If you're curious about that or know someone who could be, please shoot me an email at you should at connectwithpablo.com or hit me up on Instagram or LinkedIn through the profiles tagged in the show notes. If you just want a quick pick me up and some tactical advice right before walking into a room full of strangers, go to connectwithpablo.com, watch the five minute video about how to walk into a room and not feel like you're all alone and or download the little cheat sheet on how to do just that. I have a lot of my friends that I've done networking with me for a long time tell me that they love watching that thing and carrying it around when they're walking into a networking event or they're walking into a conference or sometimes even if you're just walking into a wedding and you don't know anybody, right? It has a lot of use for it. I invite you to check it out if you need it. I really hope you stick around, connect with me and start leaning into finding value in others and feeling like you have value to give yourself. It'll make the world a better place. I promise. Until the next episode, I am Pablo Gonzalez, your Chief Executive Connector.